Welcome home. This is uh, week four of a series we've been doing called My Life Story. And we're taking a look at some of the stories Jesus told uh, and seeing how he wants to write the next chapter in our life story. Um, this, uh, this week we're going to be in Luke 16. If you have your Bible, uh, you want to turn there. If you don't have it with you or you don't own one, look under the seat in front of you. We have some uh, placed out there. If you don't own a Bible, that's yours to keep. We want it uh, in every heart and every hand and every home. So uh, Luke 16. The title of today's message is Your Best Life When. And that is a not too subtle uh, reference to the best-selling book, Your Best Life Now. Um, And uh, chances are many of you own the book and I don't mean to mock, but I mean to mock. Um, we, uh, one of my uh, responsibilities uh, as, uh, as preaching to you as your pastor is uh, to warn you when uh, there's counsel out there that you allow to speak into your hearts, speak into your lives that doesn't square necessarily with the Bible. Now, to be sure... To be sure, there is truth in that book. To be sure, there is scripture there. To be sure, there are good things you can glean from it. However, one of the fundamental principles, and we will continue to hammer at this because it is so prevalent in the church and outside the church, is that one of the foundational assumptions is that following Jesus is the path to financial gain, to great health, to every material blessing that you can ever imagine. Now, um, the only problem with that book is this book. Um, it, It forces you to ignore huge portions of Scripture, one of which we're going to look at today. Now, um, as I said, uh, truth there, truth there, the underlying assumption is, uh, is different than what we understand God to be saying, Jesus to be saying through the Scripture, come, follow me, deny yourself, die to self, pick up your cross daily, be a living sacrifice, come, follow me. And here's the great news, that that's far better than your best life now, because not only is it better, uh, not only in doing that do we find true peace, true happiness, true new life, true ever-increasing joy, at the same time, it goes on through eternity, okay? And, and we're going to dig into that. Uh, but before we jump in, uh, we want to take a look at some context, uh, because context is everything, or else we end up proof texting, making the Bible say things it never meant. And, uh, and so what we want to do is turn in 16, uh, we want to set some context, so we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Here's Jesus speaking. Uh, he says, no servant uh, can serve two masters. He's just finished teaching about uh, the godly use of money. And he says, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he, he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So look at the reaction he gets. The Pharisees, whom we've looked at uh, over and over again, who were what? Lovers of money, heard these things, and they ridiculed him. They laughed at him. I don't know that Jesus meant that as a punchline. They took it that way. Um, They're making fun of him, okay? And Jesus answered, and he said to them, verse 15, 
You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your what? Your hearts. It's always about the heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So God, uh, Jesus, is going to be talking about money. But whenever he's talking about a thing, a, a material thing, he's really trying to get at what? At the heart. At the heart. So this, the topic is money. The focus is on transformed hearts. That's what he wants. If you transform the heart, all the good fruit comes from there. If Jesus transforms your heart, you can modify your behavior. You can become a more generous person. But unless that comes from a transformed heart, that's not what Jesus is getting at, okay? So here we go. Uh, Jesus tells them, the Pharisees, this story to show them how much is at stake. This is not a, a laughing light matter that he's unfolding for them, but he tells them this to show them how much is at stake. Because although they're jerks, uh, he loves them. And that's good news for those of us who are jerks. Amen? Okay, like me. Um, studying this uh, passage, I have realized how self-centered and selfish and materialistic I am. So know that as I share this, I am receiving it and needing the heart transformation that I'm referring to in this passage. Stay with us. What we're going to do is we're going to read it, we're going to pray, and then we're going to study it. So uh, Luke 16, let's pick it up in verse 19. There was a rich man, this is Jesus speaking, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man, named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send them to my father's house for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. And he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this is way over my head. Um, you are pounding on my heart um, and my life. You're pressing on me to lead me into life and set me free. Um, I think you're going to do that on so many hearts this morning. 
And I would pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to see you, Jesus, and how beautiful you are, to be drawn to the cross in repentance so that we can change, so that we can be changed and transformed. Lord, I confess my sins. I wish they were not so many. Um, and Lord, that we would see you and, and only you uh, this morning. Do what only you can do. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now we're going to get uh, to dig in and study a little bit. I forgot this. Uh, and that's okay because it was mis- malfunctioning last week. It, it was like running at double time. So the time I got at the end was just like ludicrous. So, okay, we're going to get that fixed and we'll get it back in, in order. Um, whenever, okay, save the laughter, man. I love you, you know. I know that's coming from a loving place. But um, whenever we talk, when I, th- I don't know what it is. Whenever the topic is money, but really hearts, um, what tends to happen to a lot of people is that we tend to hear the Word of God, feel the Spirit of God pressing on us, and think, man, I know exactly how this applies to somebody else. <laughs> Most likely somebody who has more money than we do. Um, so don't do that. Um, it is about us, and, and we're going to take a look at that. And like all Scripture, it is about Jesus Christ. And, and we're going to take a look at that too. Okay. Uh, Jesus does not, one interesting thing, um, Jesus doesn't present this as a parable. In no other parable, in no other story that Jesus tells in Scripture does he give somebody a specific name, which leads many to believe, and I am one of them, uh, that this is an actual story. And I believe you'll see the truth of this playing out over and over and over again in, in our culture, in our churches. Uh, so let's look for that. Um, Luke 16, let's look at the first few verses. Uh, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores, uh, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Okay, we got to stop there. We're going to go back to 19 because this is all we know. This is all we're told about their earthly life. So in order to find out what's really happening here, we have to dig in and find out a little bit more about them. We have two men. We have two contrasts. Uh, We have the rich man and we have Lazarus. What do we know about the rich man? First, he's rich. Second, he's a man. It's a good start. You're thinking... Tom, you could be on CSI. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, Deeper, what do we know? We know he is likely a Jew because he calls Abraham his father, prays to Father Abe, and we know that uh, he probably knew the Old Testament scriptures. He probably prayed to the God of Abraham, maybe on a daily basis, maybe went to temple, but his heart was not transformed and he ends up in the hot place, H-E, double hockey sticks, if you know what I'm talking about, okay? We're going to be talking about the afterlife. You're going to have questions about that. That's okay. We're going to get, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Now, the Pharisees who are listening would like this guy. They'd like this guy a lot. From the, from the get-go, as Jesus 
tells the story. They're rooting for him. Why? Because like the Pharisees, this guy is a clothes horse. He's a fashionista, girlfriend. You know what I'm saying? It says in verse 19, he's clothed in purple and fine linen. Now, purple doesn't mean much to us. I mean, you're looking very cool in it. But at that time, purple was a very expensive, you too, um, very expensive dye. It was made from seashells, hard to make, hard to get. So anybody who wore purple could afford that. So it was one of those very visible signs of wealth. People loved to wear purple if they wanted people to know not only that they could afford it, right? So this is the kind of guy who liked that. Egyptian cotton, heavy thread count, you know? He didn't wear last year's jeans. He has like a closet full of clothes. Uh, Many of them still have the tags on. Uh, He has clothes in his closet that he hasn't been thin enough to wear for years, you know, but he's still keeping them. So big closet, big thing. He's interested in status labels. He's not going to wear the same thing week in and week out. Now, poor people don't worry about these things. You know, Lazarus, the beggar, is not laying there saying, oh, great, the guy down the street who's begging has the same blanket I do. Great. And burlap is so last year. I hope nobody takes pictures. So he's rich. What else do we know about him? He feasted sumptuously every day. Now, Jews in that culture would feast sumptuously maybe once or twice a year, you know, on major feast days. He, every day, he regularly eats to the point where he has trouble breathing correctly. I know of which I speak, unfortunately. He's the kind of guy, maybe you can relate, who would stand in front of a full cupboard in front of an open refrigerator door with the light shining on his growing belly saying, lots of food. I'm not in the mood for any of this though. Um, I'm thinking about some sesame chicken takeout, maybe from the house of Israel or double, double donkey or something. <laughs> so he's feasting sumptuously every day. Now the rich man does not have a name. He does not have a name. This is a problem for three reasons. One, if Jesus is telling a story and he gives somebody a name and it's not you, things are not going to go well for you. I'm telling you right now, you want a name. Number two, he didn't have a name because the rich man was his identity. His identity was caught up in his riches. That's what he identified. You remove the riches, you remove his identity. That was his ultimate treasure. That's what he wants to be known for. That is his ultimate prize. What he has, what he's capable of, what he can buy. Okay? Number three, it's not, God bless you, it's not that Jesus didn't know him, but he didn't know Jesus. Amen? He doesn't have his name written in the Lamb's book of life, which is what the Bible uses to talk about those who have allowed Jesus um, to save them, to transform their hearts. He doesn't have a name. We want a name. We want a name. Now don't, before we leave the rich man and look at Lazarus, don't make this guy out to to be Bill Gates. You know what I'm saying? Because... um, If we make him so extraordinarily rich, then it's not about us anymore. 
another thing that people do with this is assume that the rich man got his riches some dishonest way. The Bible gives us no reason to assume that he didn't just grow up and say, I've got, my family's got some financial difficulties, but if I work hard and, and I'm, I'm smart and I have great work ethic, I can, I can eliminate these struggles from my life. I can, I can make more money. There's nothing to say that he did not earn this money through hard work or some honest gain. There's nothing to say that, okay? Now, we who believe the Bible believe also in Deuteronomy, it says that God gives us the power to gain wealth. So it came from God, but he may have come upon it quite honestly, quite honestly. But his identity got wrapped up in riches. Let's look at verse 20. Verse 20 shows us the contrast, the flip side. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. Let's stop there. At his gate. For those of you in Colorado, at his cattle guard. Right there on the edge of his property. Right there. Right there. Right there was Lazarus. Right there. Right there between the Gunnison Airport and the rodeo grounds. Right there. Right there along Highway 50 before it curves south just past Ace Hardware. Right there. Right there in some of those wreck trailers, some of those ramshackle things that look like tool sheds that you'd like to believe nobody lives in, but you know somebody does all through the winter, right there. But I digress. Poor man is who? Has a name. His name is Lazarus. Lazarus is a good name to have in the Bible. Uh, Jesus is very fond, it seems, of guys with the name Lazarus. He has a very close friend. He raised from the dead. Not the same guy. Not the same guy. Lazarus means God has helped, okay? God has helped. Apparently, God is the only one who's helped this guy. The only one who's helped this guy. So we have Lazarus, and he's laid at the gate right there, and he's poor, and he's covered with sores. Now, I I believe the technical term for this is icky. He's sick, and he's visibly diseased. He's visibly covered in the evidence of his disease. So the Pharisees don't like this guy. Right from the get-go, they are not rooting for him. Why? Because the Pharisees believe that wealth is a symbol of God's pleasure. Prosperity is a symbol that you are doing well. Keep doing what you're doing because God loves it, and he's keeping pouring on more wealth to you, when in fact, it could be the greatest curse you've ever gotten. And we'll take a look at why. And they also believe on the flip side that poverty and disease are a symbol that God is not particularly pleased with you. You're living wrong. He has rejected you. So you have poverty and you have disease. So the Pharisees are not rooting for this guy. They spiritualize spiritualize wealth 
They demonize poverty, and they use this to justify two things. One, their ever-increasing wealth, and two, ignoring the poor. And before we beat up on the Pharisees, and before we beat up on the rich man, let's ask ourselves, let's ask ourselves the last time things went well for us financially. The last time things went even modestly well for us financially, maybe, maybe we got a windfall of some kind. Maybe we got a piece of inheritance. Maybe we got a larger tax refund than we expected. Maybe we got a raise. Maybe we got a promotion. I know it's hard to believe in an economy like this, but stretch your mind. How many of us thought, that's for me? That's for me and my family, and that's for that bigger TV. That's for that new phone. That's for that cool car. That's so that I can do those home improvements. That's so we can go on that wonderful trip. That's so that God is blessing us for us. And who are we to argue? That doesn't sound so bad, does it? I mean, which which one of us, really? Me included. Hasn't said that, okay, this increase, that's for me. That's for us. Thank God we get to have a better lifestyle. Well, that's the theology of the rich man. And how many of us, how many of us have not seen truly destitute poor people and thought something, because we're not all bold enough to say this out loud, said something like, you know, those poor people must have done something to be that poor, really. I mean, all they do is buy lottery tickets, drink beer for breakfast, and eat those hot dogs at the convenience store that have been cooking on those roller things, and they smoke so many doobies that they're too lazy to get a job, you know? And until we get a president who will put an end to these freeloading, food stamp, welfare people, they'll just keep popping out babies and living off ever thought anything like that? I grew up in New York. When we would go to um, the city, um, we would ask my father to take us in the car down uh, the Bowery, where there were a lot of um, street people um, that we call bums. And at the stoplights, they would come up and wash your windows with old, dirty newspaper in hopes that you would give them something. And my sisters and I would look as if we were at the zoo and laugh. And we were looking at Jesus. Before we come down on the Pharisees for celebrating wealth for themselves and looking down on the poor. Let's just let God press in and speak to our hearts because it's not about money. It's not about generosity. Ultimately, it is about Jesus transforming our hearts and giving us his desires, his compassion, his love, and all that stuff springs from it. Verse 21, what else do we know about Lazarus? 
The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping ahead. Um, let's go back to 21, Ryan, if that's okay. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. What, he would have desired to be fed from what fell from the rich man's table. Look at that. We could do a whole month of messages on he desired to be fed from what fell from the rich man's table. He just wanted his table scraps. He he loved to dumpster dive in this guy's place. This rich man wastes more than he gives. He wastes more than he gives. And that one hit me hard. This showed a heart that was not transformed by the gospel, not transformed by Jesus, and even the dogs come and lick his sores. So what do you make of this? The dogs see, dogs see what the rich man is blind to, that there is a man who is hurting and destitute, and they lick his sores. Again, quite icky. However, Maybe this was the only comfort, the only relief, the only contact that this man knew. Dogs got it. The rich man, not so much. So here we have, in 21, I'm sorry I jumped ahead. Uh, In 22, rather, the poor man died, carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died. Okay, they both die, okay? Okay. Now, the Pharisees, their heads are spinning at this point because they've never conceived of this before. A wicked rich man and a righteous, faithful, poor guy, right? And the rich man is is not in in blessing, in eternal blessing, but he's he's buried. He goes to Hades. Being in torment, he lifts up his eyes. He sees Abraham far off, sees Lazarus at his side. They're, they're, they're trying to download this. They just can't. They just can't. Because that's not how their world works. That's not how their theology is based. Now, um, the rich man gets a burial. The poor man just dies. And, and you can picture this, right? doesn't say he was buried. Like, guys are going to Starbucks, and they go every morning, they're going, hey, um, hasn't that rich dude been sleeping in the same position for like three days straight? Yeah, yeah, yes. You don't suppose. Well, I don't know. He is stinking more than he usually does. Yeah, he was dead. Discarded, disgraced. Lift it up. He's at Abraham's side, okay? Jesus has not yet risen, so... Uh, what happens after death is, is not going to be with Jesus. He's with Abraham, right? Okay. And, and we're going to go into that. And the, the, the rich man, 23, in Hades, he's being in torment. He lifted up his eyes. He saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. What does he do? He calls out, Father Abraham. That's how we know he's a good Jew. Okay. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish with this flame. Okay, this guy is dead. He's receiving the just due of his life, unyielded to God, unyielded to Christ, unsaved. And what is he doing? 
he is still self-centered. He's still looking down on Lazarus and saying, hey, can't you get him to serve me? The water service here is awful and somebody needs to fix the air conditioner. I'm in torment here. Can't you get him to bring me some water? He's still so self-centered, so self-absorbed that in the afterlife, he continues to look down on Lazarus. But Abraham said, child, child, there's compassion there. Remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he was comforted here and you were in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed. You're in anguish, okay? There's a joke that goes around, says, you know, I want to go to hell because all my friends are there and we can party together. He doesn't want this. He doesn't want this. We're going to see this in a minute. Besides, there's this chasm fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him. Again, have Lazarus do this. Have Lazarus do this. Send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Actually, the word is siblings. Could have been brothers, could have been sisters. Some mix of the two. Hopefully, he had more guys than girls at home. Helps you win fights. I know, I have three sisters. So that they may warn them. He may warn them lest they come to this place of torment. He doesn't want this for his brothers and sisters. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. What's he talking about here? They have the Old Testament scriptures. They have the Old Testament scriptures. The word of God speaking directly to them. Let, him, let them hear them. And he says, no, no. No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they need, a, they need a sign. God's word to their heart's not enough. They need something dramatic. They need a sign. If somebody goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. And he said, you know, if they don't have a heart, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone f- should rise from the dead. And this was prophetic because Jesus is telling a story to the Pharisees who know Moses and the prophets. They are steeped in, have memorized, have poured over the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. And even though they have them, because their hearts are hard to the word of God, when the Son of God rises from the dead, when Jesus rises, the greatest miracle Conquering death, hell, and the grave for you and for me, for all who would come, they don't believe. They don't believe. Okay. Turns out that the rich man is poor spiritually, and the poor man is rich spiritually. Don't get this wrong. Don't get this wrong and think it's evil to be rich, and it's good to be poor. There are blessings of each and warnings for each. It is not because the rich man was rich that he does not go to God in the afterlife. It is not because the poor man is poor that he does. The rich man's sin was that he was the center of his own life. His riches were not his ultimate treasure And God was the poor man's ultimate treasure. He lived up to his name. God has helped me. 
And as Christians, as believers, it is our job to live up to the name of Lazarus, that we are 100% dependent on the love, mercy, and grace of God, whether we're poor or rich or somewhere in between. That's what we're going for. And the problem with making riches your ultimate treasure is it fights against the two great commandments, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And those two commandments either stand or fall together. You can't love God ultimately and not love people. You can't love people as God calls you to love and not love him. You see? And riches get in the way of both of those things because when we're too rich, when we have too much money, what it, what it causes us to do when we make that our ultimate treasure is that we don't trust God anymore because we don't feel like we have to. We can buy our way out of anything. Money is our security, not God. Money is our help, not God. And so God, Jesus continually warns people who have more than they need. And by the way, that is almost all of us. More than they absolutely need to not trust in riches because they will harden our hearts against him. And what? They will harden our hearts against other people. Why? Because we cease to have compassion when we don't link ourselves primarily to God. We're always looking up the ladder a couple of rungs to the next step, to the person who has more. Rather than realizing when we look down, that's where Jesus is, right? To those who have less and lifting them up. So it blinds us to him. It blinds us to other people. They become invisible. Yet this loving compassion, this generosity is the essence of who Jesus is. And we always preach Jesus in the scripture, no matter what we're preaching about. It's always from the scripture. It's always about Jesus. So you wonder what, what's coming next week? Jesus, the gospel. It's in everything, Old Testament to new. Genesis 1 to the maps in the back. It's about Jesus. Where is he in this story? Jesus is the rich man, as the rich man should have been. Jesus is the rich man as he blessed the rich man to become, but he never did. Jesus is the richest of the rich men. He owns all the universe, everything seen and unseen. It's his. Sacrifices it all for love and compassion for guys and women like me and like you. Sacrifices everything for a cross to die in our place as our substitute for our sins and rise for our salvation. He spends it all. He spends it all. That's the gospel. So that we can have new life and forgiveness, freedom, and ever-increasing joy in his presence. He spends it all, and often we think charity is what we do with what's left over after we meet our needs and our most pressing wants what we have in our jeans that goes through the wash or we find in the couch or disposable income. And Jesus says, you want to know me. Love like I love. Give like I love. Give like I give. Sacrificial. So that our lives are different. Our lives are impacted. This is the call of Christ. 
for those who have received him, you've received this generosity that cost him everything so that you could share in his inheritance, in his riches, in his grace. And I spent this week allowing God to pound on my heart and say, Tom, why do you not live in a smaller house than you can afford? Why do you not drive a worse car than you can afford? Why do you go out to eat so much for the principal reason that you could have more to do great and exciting things like I do with my generosity? To seek out those who need to know my love and provision in practical ways because they're right there. I need my heart transformed. I need my heart transformed. Maybe you do too. Generosity that compromises our lifestyle because that's how he gave to us. Jesus identifies with Lazarus. Jesus is the rich man who became the poor man so that poor men and women like us, spiritual beggars, could become rich. Jesus again and again and again identifies with the poorest of the poor, the brokenest of the broken. I just made that word up, I think. But you know what I'm saying? With the most rejected. He identifies with the Matthew 25, 40. This is the end of the sheep and the goats. You know this verse. And the king will say to those who gave, who sacrificed, and the king will say to them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I identify with those who are most hurting, who are most poor, who are destitute. You do it for them, you do it for me. You laugh at the Bowery bums, you laugh at me. You drive past the worst areas of our town, you drive past me. You walk past that person who is marginalized because of the clothes they wear or don't wear, the shape of their body, their dorkiness. I was telling the Quince, she's going off to college. I said, you know, give dorks a chance. Or else, if your mom did, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She's hot. but she stooped. Oh, giggle all you want. That's the gospel, man. That's what God does. He stooped. Got beneath me. Spent it all so that I could become rich. That's exciting. He says, go and do the same. Go and do the same. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. He will repay him for his, de- for his deed. God identifies with those most in need. Why? Because we're all in need. Even the rich guy's in need. He just doesn't know it. You know, rich guys, rich ladies, those of us who have more than we need, um, we don't feel the need as acutely so we don't come we don't repent 
we don't hunger and thirst for things that we feel we can hunger and thirst for. He's right at the gate. What's your gate? What's keeping you from that? The easy response, the easy response to this text, to this message is, I'm going to make up my mind to notice poor people, to count my blessings, and to be more generous. That sounds like a nice thing, but that's what the Pharisees would do. They would alter their behavior. We're just doing that. It's just treating the symptoms and not getting to the root. God's not calling you primarily to be more generous and to be more giving. He's calling you to the cross. Whether it's for the first time or for the millionth time, to come be transformed. The Christian's life is one of continual repentance, to be transformed. Because when Jesus transforms our heart, then all the fruit of the Spirit comes out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of it, right? You become generous. You become loving in a way you wouldn't be loving. So the answer is not, I'm just going to force myself to do this because that's what God requires. What God wants is not your wallet, it's your heart. And when he has that fully, and none of us is there yet, but when he has that fully, he's got everything else. Jesus is not primarily talking about money. He's talking about transformed hearts. And the rich and the poor need to hear that. He said this to Revelation in Revelation 3.17. He's speaking to the church at Laodicea. We'll end here. He says, for you say I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Here's the good news. But I counsel you, I urge you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. See what? See me. And the incredible love I have for you. For you are all more poor and more broken than you ever feared. But you are also more loved than you ever dreamed. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. That's for me. Maybe that's for some of you too. He wants to clothe us. He wants to make us rich in the ways that last. Next week, we're going to study this passage further and look at the afterlife and see where the rich man ended up and see why hell is real and why it's not what you think it is. But until then, let's all realize that we're poor and we've received riches at his expense and go to the poor and show his love. Let's pray.